she's alive. Alive! Hello, and welcome to the Final Ghost Podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror, film, and feminism. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Ghost and your podcast host. Welcome to our first episode of our new season. Over the next few months, we'll be tracing the lineage of female monsters through cinema. In each episode, I'll be joined by a special guest to dive deep into a monster movie from the iconic to the debatable. In this first episode, we'll be talking about a double bill of Panther Women, starting with 1932's Island of Lost Souls, a pre-code horror film based on the H.G. Wells novel. A truly nasty little film. We meet Dr. Moreau, a scientist exiled on an island where he conducts genetic experiments on animals to turn them into humans. Following that, we'll be talking about Jack Tornos' 1942 chiller Cat People, where a newlywed woman fears that an ancient curse will turn her into a bloodthirsty beast if she consummates her marriage. These two films make for a wicked double bill of cat-themed horror. I'm joined in this episode by Dr. Alison Pierce, an author specialized in horror cinema and associate professor at the University of Leeds. Alison and I go deep into the history and legacy of Panther Woman, the first female-coded movie monsters, and also why cats make for good horror villains. Alison, thank you so much for joining me on this new series to talk about some monsters. My pleasure. (laughs) We're going to start with The Island of Lost Souls from 1932 and move on to Cat People from 1942 uh, a little bit afterwards. But to kick off, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with these films? Um, Yes, I'll begin with Island of Lost Souls. Um, I did my PhD on 1930s horror film. And when I was looking at the horror films, I didn't really have like a strict method for how I decided what I wanted to write about. In my PhD, my premise was basically, everyone talks about Dracula from 1931 um, when they talk about 1930s horror, but I just find it really boring. And I wanted to just find some films that people didn't talk about very much and write about them, which is a very unacademic, true rationale behind my PhD. And I came across Island of Lost Souls. I mean, at that point, I think I got it imported on a VHS from somewhere in Chicago. And um, I watched it and I was just like, wow, this is a nasty film. There's some really (laughs) gruesome stuff. There's a female monster. There's all these weird mutated beast men baying into the camera. Charles Lawton is in it and he is insane. I was like, I am here for this film this film is amazing. So I had no real rationale at that point for why it fitted into my PhD, but I knew it was the nastiest 1930s horror film I'd ever seen. And on that basis, I needed to write at least 10,000 words about it. (laughs) And then um, (laughs) with Cat People, do you know what? I can't even remember the first time I watched Cat People. I must have watched it 10, 20 times. My, My first job as a lecturer was in 2008 at University of Hull and the first film I screened was Cat People. It's just, it's my favourite kind of horror. I'm a bit of a wimp with horror. Like I specialise in horror, it's what I love, but I'm not into the kind of horror where people are getting 
like eviscerated and dismembered on screen and their like brains are exploding or they're being tortured that's not really my thing I like um like ghostly ambiguous it's all is it in your head are they mad are they not where's the monster we can't see it they're lurking on the edge of the frame that kind of more like elegant ambiguous horror and cat people is nothing if not ambiguous so Hmm. I can't even tell you when I watched it but it's always been very close to my heart You're convinced that the thing on this table isn't human. Its cries are human. Do you know what it is, what I began with? No. An animal. Well, we may as well discuss this frankly, now that you know the facts. I wanted to prove how completely she was a woman. And going back to the island of lost souls, you use the word nasty several times, and (laughs) it pops. And I think it's... You know, this is the word that comes to mind when you watch the film, even in 2020, which is so impressive considering, you know, the fact that it's a film from the 30s. What do you think makes it so nasty even now? There's, There's lots of things about it that are reflective of the time it was written and filmed. So in the 1930s, just after this, the production code came in, which meant they couldn't do a lot on screen that suggested sex or sexuality or violence. But this was made just before then. So we have an awful lot of like horror and sex related in this film. So um, Lota, the panther woman, she is a genetic experiment from Dr Moreau and he wants her to mate with this guy who's been stranded on the South Seas Island because she wants to know if this panther woman can produce children. So I'm like, well, that's quite nasty. And then we've got um, Uran, who's the ape man, which in some terribly racialized stereotyping is this like black bestial figure who attempts to rape Parker's fiance, this very white, very blonde woman called Ruth, who basically just turns up on the island searching for Parker so she can be attempted to be raped. And then we have a village of beast men who are all deformed and wild and led by Bela Lugosi as a sailor of the law. And in one sequence, they all just like they converge on the camera and they look right into the camera, like eyeball to eyeball with the audience and they're kind of bellowing, like, you know, are we not men? Are we not men? And Mm. the camera focuses on all these weird deformed faces and it's quite assaultive. And you're kind of like, oh, wow, this is, this is quite something for the 1930s. This is like interspecies sex and suggested rape and terrible racial politics and Mm. all this weird assault in the audience it's a very weird potent mix and also the the figure of dr moreau who as you say is played by charles lawton who at this point is a is a pretty massive screen star and was a really respected stage actor as well and he is just so machiavellian but also takes so much (laughs) weird pleasure in his experiments (laughs) yeah completely this is um 
again, it's this nastiness of kind of desire. I think yes. in the film, I mean, the the first thing that really struck me when I watched the film in terms of characters was Charles Lawton. I mean, he's a mm. wonderful actor. Um, Island of Lost Souls and the only film he's ever directed, Night of the Hunter from 1955. Yes. They're two of my favourite films. They're just, they're, they pinpoint exactly my kind of horror. And interestingly, he was also married in real life. Uh, to Elsa Lancaster, who played the Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, of course, I'd completely forgotten that. But yeah, um, of course he was, which it all just ties up, doesn't it? Mm. But yeah, Charles Lawton's just wild in Island of Lost Souls. Like you say, like he's clearly having so much fun with this character. And he's re- this character, Dr Moreau, is really getting his rocks off, experimenting mm. on these animal beast men and creating panther women and I think when you read it it's clear that like Dr Moreau is here for Edward Parker like the boring protagonist guy who gets washed Mm. up in the shipwreck on the island but like he can't go after Parker himself he can flirt like hell with him and he can kind (laughs) of um, he can flex his whip he's got a whip you know like he he can stroke his whip and he can lay back on the like laboratory table and Amy's crotch at Parker, but like he ultimately sends a panther woman in to have sex with him as like a mm. substitution. So there's really weird, like bad sex stuff going on with Moreau as well. <laughs> I think this is one of the things that makes it so nasty even now, maybe particularly especially yeah. now, is that he is so lecherous. But as you mentioned, yes. because of the constraints of the time, I this is also yeah. one of the things that I personally really love about old school Hollywood horror films is especially yeah. how they tiptoed around violence and sex, especially sex. And yeah. now it looks so obvious and I'm sure it was obvious yeah. even then, but somehow it got through the censors. But yeah, it's, you know, the yeah. joking of the whip, the just like the looks, the <laughs> up and down staring. I mean, Moreau <laughs> is just just a sex pest who has this island of creatures that he's created with, you know, now we can read this, I think, as such a weird, bizarre sexual experiment and with yeah. no regard for these creatures that he creates. Yeah, completely. And it is all what I enjoy, what I find particularly pleasurable watching it is that with Island of Lost Souls, this isn't, pardon Uran and Ruth, this isn't a story about a male monster going after woman victim. This is about a really queer scientist who's really sadistic and wit cracking and creates all these beasts with his. Um, assistant Montgomery so they bring all this life together without any women and then when he does create a panther woman Moreau is not interested in him doing anything with the panther woman he is not there he wants the panther woman to go and mate with Parker and that's what makes it interesting to me it's all about all this sexual desire being placed on Edward Parker's body and he's such a boring man like all the 1930s, like, white male straight protagonists are just dead boring. And they're there just, <laughs> they are, they're so tedious. Yeah. 
and it's the same with cat people we'll get to that but they're there just as like um a vessel for the pleasure of like the monstrosity and the sexuality and it's all about a panther woman lusting after Edward Parker. It's all about mm. a sadistic mag scientist lusting after Edward Parker. And that's what makes it really fun for me. Where do you think this film sits within the monster canon? Because this came at a time where studios, Universal in particular, were creating some of the most iconic, nay, the most iconic mm. on-screen monsters the adaptation of Frankenstein and then the Bride of Frankenstein, yeah. Dracula, which you mentioned before, the mummy, yeah. the creature from the Black Lagoon. Like in a very short span of time, some of the most iconic monstrous figures were being yeah. were being put on screen. So where do you think the island of Dr. Moreau sits within that time? It's an interesting one because in in two ways, I think it's a bit of an outlier from the period. So, first of all, the really iconic, um, that everybody knows, I don't necessarily think they're always the best, um, hence the PhD, um, but the the iconic horror films from the 30s that everybody knows are the ones predominantly made by Universal. Island of Lost Souls is made by Paramount. So this is Paramount saying, oh, around 1932, going, okay, horror's becoming a thing, it's commercially successful. You can make it cheaply. Let's get in on this horror act. So this is Paramount having a go at doing horror. So it's different to the kind of universal ones. It's a different studio, a different mentality. Island of Lost Souls represents Paramount Pictures' attempt to get in on the action. So by 1932, Paramount realised that horror as a genre was beginning to be really commercially successful and they wanted in on it so this is their attempt to do something with horror and adapt hg wells's novel island of dr moreau which is a truly nasty novel as well and the panther woman in that's really an adaptation of wells's puma woman and then you've also got the fact that island of lost souls is really about a female monster and there have been some female monsters in the 30s. So like you say, we've got the Bride from Bride of Frankenstein. We've got Countess Maria Seleska in Dracula's Daughter. Um, there's even Madeline Parker from White Zombie from 1932. But all those other female monsters, they're not quite the same as the Panther Woman in Island of Lost Souls. They're a bit different these other women are a bit more passive, but I think Lota, the panther woman, she's much more rounded. I mean, she is beautiful and she is physically and mentally strong, which is what we'd expect. But what I like about Lota is she's got these really intense emotions and she falls in love with Edward Parker. I mean, I have no idea why she likes Edward Parker, the dullest man <laughs> on earth. Um, as they all are but she's brave and she's loyal and she loves and she chooses to fight to the death to save the humans that she cares about so she's not really just a two-dimensional monster hmm. it's something else as well and that's why it's a bit more complicated with Island of Lost Souls because it's by a different studio trying to cash in it's made before the production code, so it's got all the nasty sex stuff in that two years later you couldn't do. 
and then it's got a more complicated female monster so it doesn't really fit with the normal tradition of what we think 1930s horror is it's it's interesting that there's very few sort of monstrous elements about her physic physically speaking you know yeah. the only bit that we get really is the claws which is how she is sort of revealed to be the panther woman yeah because up until that point we're sort of we know that she's the only woman on the island yeah we know that she's a creation of some sort but we're never really given an understanding a clear understanding of whether she is a half beast half woman type creation or whether she's something else entirely so why do you think there is this what do you think about kind of the way that she's made to be monstrous but still, you know, traditionally beautiful and attractive? Yeah, the the film struggles with this, I think, um, both in the film when you watch it and then in how it was kind of marketed and reviewed as well. Um, so in the film, so much is made of how beautiful she is. So the moment you're talking about is when um, Lota is sent to seduce Parker and the whole beginning of that scene, he's by the edge of a pool and she lays out and she's barely got any clothes on. You know, her chest is barely covered and the lighting's beautiful and he just can't help himself and he has to kiss her. And all of that, like you say, is this like really like beautiful, shimmering scream female. And then it's only then once he's given in that we actually discover there's some monstrosity. And that's not nothing we see to start with, like you say. And the way that it's revealed in close-up, we see um, instead of hands, she's got um, claws. But what I love is that the claws have got nail polish on them. Yeah. <laughs> Just, it's perfect. So it's like sexy monster. Like, yeah. she might have claws, but she's painted her nails red. So that's okay. <laughs> and I, I love that. I love It's not, because if it was just claws, that's like, meh, whatever. But the fact that she has got nail polish on those claws. So it's like these little monstrous eruptions that you mm. get. So she's presented as a beautiful woman. But even before Parker realises her nail polish claws are dug in his back, He's kissed her and he's pulled away. So there's something in her kiss that he realises is wrong. So I love that in terms of like how the film does it. So she's beautiful, she's beautiful, she's beautiful. Oh, actually, there's something wrong and weird. So that's, it's slightly complicated. She's never out and out monster. And then um, when the film was marketed... So much of it was marketed around the panther woman and really focused on this kind of um, sexy, nasty monster and what's she going to do? Like, what's it going to be like when you see this film? But then when it was released, all the critics just focused on Charles Lawton. I mean, he he is insanely good in it. He is amazing chewing scenery left right and center and it's the fact that he's clearly having a whale of a time doing it as well it's just like joyful watching him but then when the critics started writing about it in the 30s she was just completely subsumed by charles lawton mm. she was put that she was decidedly alluring a bit mm. grotesquery or having weird makeup but that's it so the critic yeah. just ignored her completely and focused on Moreau instead. 
I find the story about how Katie Burke, who plays the Panther Woman, I mean, I find it in the title credits of the film, which in, you know, in the earlier in old Hollywood films in the 30s, 40s and so on, will usually appear as title credits at the the start of the film. Yes. So there's Charles Lawton, everyone else, and then it just appears and the Panther Woman. Yeah. So she's even credited at the start of the film as the creature that she's playing. Yes. But you know, there, and as you say, there was a lot of um, kind of uh, writing and uh, adulation around Charles Lawton's performance. Mm. But what do you think of her? Um, I think she's good, and I think she does the part well. But there's not there's not really anywhere for her to go with it beyond where she does go. Um, I think she imbues it with emotion and I think she's actually quite good in that silent star way of playing with her face, like Mm. acting it through her expressions. But she's essentially a tragic monster who has to sacrifice herself to save the humans. So there's a a limit on how far I think she can go with it in the film. And then beyond that, after Island of Lost Souls, she accepted a contract to stay on and work in Hollywood and she made another horror film called Murders in the Zoo. But she could never shake off the panther woman. So her career didn't ever really go anywhere because she was never that huge, hugely monstrous. She doesn't, like, Irina in Cat People's very different. I feel she imbues the screen with dread and menace. Whereas the Panther Woman feels quite a lot more innocent and childlike. And that didn't really transpose beyond Island of Lost Souls. So it was a real problem for Katie Burke trying to pursue a career after that because she never got away from this Panther Woman tag ever. And her career just kind of trickled out eventually. I feel like this is a good moment for us to move on to talking about cat people. Across the centuries comes this exciting story of a modern girl cursed by an ancient legend. The legend of the cat people. Women whose kiss means death. Whose love turns them into vicious, snarling beasts of prey. Cat people came out ten years after The Island of Lost Souls, 1942. And one of the the great horrors and one of the Jacques Tourneau and Val Luton collaborations. Yes. As well, that was also remade in the 80s by Paul Schrader, mm-hmm. which is another film that we'll cover in the series, which is completely unhinged. And <laughs> I have a lot of time for it. But <laughs> this film is stunning and yes. is so beautifully directed, I think. I mean, when I rewatched it last night and I've seen it a, a bunch of times, mm-hmm. it still strikes me how elegant and menacing it is how has your relationship with the film evolved um well again like you I re-watched it last night and um I I was sat down I'd had a very long day yesterday it, every every aspect of my life had been particularly hard work yesterday and I must have done like 14 hours of like work work and homework before I sat down on the sofa and I was like I'm going to have to re-watch Cat People before I go to bed. I'm not going to have anything to say tomorrow. And within five minutes of watching it, I'd started to relax. And I'd remembered just what a wonderful, wonderful film it was. Um, Like for me, more so 
than Island of Lost Souls. I love the visual style in it. I love um, the lighting. There's so many pools of darkness in it where monsters mm. could be lurking. There's beautiful use of light and dark and just the tone of it. It's so ambiguous and leisurely and it's happy to leave it up to the audience how to interpret the scenes. Like, it's confident. And I was like, oh, this film is so good. And I just sat there for the hour 10 that it was on, just really happy to go into this other, like, beautiful, stylish world and be carried along by, like, in a really confident, masterly way. Does does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So much of the film, contrary to The Island of Lost Souls, does rely on the shoulders of... Simone Simon, yes, uh, who's a French actress who portrays uh, the titular Catwoman, yes, Irina. So, can you talk a little bit about kind of who is Irina? Like, how was she introduced to us? What do you make of her? Oh, she's so interesting. I think Cat People, um, the Panther Woman, as it was, she's just given, mm. um, she's given so much more space for depth than Lota the Panther Woman is in the nineteen thirties. Um, and she's beautifully acted so to talk about like who she is so Irina in the film um, Cat People she's like a young Serbian immigrant who's convinced she's cursed and the other woman the other women from her Serbian village turn into cat people when they're sexually aroused um, Mm -hmm. which is just great like I'm in I'm in straight away (laughs) this is a film I want to see from the 1940s what are we going to do with this and the film centers on the fact she's moved to America where she falls in love with the very boring, very dull, very straight protagonist. And he thinks her curse is superstitious nonsense and she believes it's real. But they get married and Irina refuses to have sex with him in case she turns into a panther. So he insists she has to go see a psychologist called Dr. Judd, who is like the creepiest most lecherous like nasty psychologist some kind of sexual profiteer so instantly this is like a film that I'm in this is like horrible creepy Dr Judd a woman who thinks if she has sex she'll savage a man to death as a panther and a really boring guy that you hope is gonna get savage to death soon (laughs) cat people's really an adaptation of Algin and Blackwood's story, Ancient Sorceries. Um, it's only a loose adaptation, but in the Ancient Sorceries story, it's about a character called Arthur Vezin who goes on holiday in France and he stops off at a little village in the mountains. Um, he quickly falls in love with the innkeeper's daughter there. And one night there's this crazy kind of carnival orgy and he loses his head and Ilsa kisses him. No, he kisses Ilsa. I've, like, I've got a line from it here. He took her in his arms and he covered her unresisting face in kisses. But even while he did so, and while the hot passion swept him, he felt that she was soft and loathsome and that her answering kisses stained his very soul. And she disappears into oh the God. shadows and he hears a singular, long-drawn-out cry, which at first he took for laughter but which later he was sure he recognised as the almost human wailing of a cat. Oh my God, Alison, listen, I was not expecting a dramatic reading. <laughs> but 
Holy shit, that was amazing. Yeah, I've had, you know, I've been loving cat people for a long time. This is very much my thing. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I'm so here for this. (laughs) It's anything to do with cats. Like, always love cats, obsessed with cats. As many films, as many horror films as I can see that have cats in, this this is my thing. Yes, and, you know, I'm very pleased that there is a cat present at the recording as well even though he's not really contributing much yeah well that's enough that's enough so (laughs) both the previous film we talked about and cat people more so um perhaps because it does give arena a lot more space and because i think the direction is so it i mean it is directed by someone who i think is a a lot more of a a, not just a competent but a quite a visionary director yes what do you think this idea of the monster woman and sex and the sinful woman kind of where do you think they intersect yeah because they do like they're very different films i think and the the actual the lota the panther woman in island of lost souls and um irena and cat people uh, are played very differently but they do intersect around sexuality so mm. Like for decades, critics barely wrote about women horror monsters. They always were writing about the male monster, but on the few occasions they were written about, it is usually in relation to sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in the case of Lota, she is portrayed as quite innocent and wide eyed, and her love for Edward Parker is genuine and her sexuality is kind of manipulated by Moreau for his own Mm. ends. In Cat People, Irene is taught to repress her sexuality and to be scared of her sexuality. And what the film is really trying to get her to do is to overcome the repression of her sexuality so the protagonist can have sex with her. And then when she's not down with that, the psychologist tries to seduce her anyway and says he's not scared of her cat-like sexuality and then he really pays for it so it's just it's all about sexuality and that's what links them but it's Mm. a different way that men are trying to manipulate the sexuality I think that really draws them together what do you make about the violence and the horror aspects of cat people I love it because again I'm all about ambiguity so because Island of Lost Souls was made before the production code, well, the Hayes code really kicked in, um, the violence is shown a lot on screen, like, uh, like spoilers, but, you know, Lota fights an ape man to the death and you see both of them on screen fighting and you see her laid out on the floor dead, whereas in Cat People, it's all done off screen and it's done in the darkness um cat people's far more about atmosphere and suspense rather than visual spectacle there's never any point where like Irina rears up with like a cat's nose off her ears it's like it's not that kind of film it's just not it's set in the modern world around modern characters in modern environments on like sidewalks and in what I think is an architect's office it looks like they're doing Mm -hmm. some kind of draft work anyway Mm -hmm. it's all very modern and the horror is much more personal and intimate and 
for much of the film can be seen as maybe imaginary. So it's it's about what's suggested. Is this psychological? Is this real? And that ambiguity is paid out in the visuals. You know, Val Luton, he really disliked the 1930s style of horror where it's like, here's the monster on screen. Here's the prosthetics. Here's the heavy makeup. He just wanted it all to be in your mind and like for there to be a flickering shadow at the edge of the screen. And you're like, so is that that cat that bizarrely lives in an architect's office that no one comments on, just lives there? Is that that cat? Or is it in fact Irina turned into a panther? You never know. And that's much more what this film's like. It's that ambiguity and letting you play with it. And I, I just love that. It lets you create so much fear in your head. Yeah. There's there's a couple of really striking scenes. Kind of, I think some of the most horrific scenes in Cat People are just engines for dread. You know, there's a yeah. really wonderful scene where a character, Alice, is... Yeah. Uh, walking down a a dark alleyway and she can hear the clickety clack of a woman's heels behind her but she can't see her and then she hears a growl and we don't see anything we just hear it and we see the fear on the character's face and you know we imagine it it's so simple it's all about the shadows and these recognizable modern environments you know it's tough to place ourselves in Uh, a mad scientist remote island but it's very simple to imagine ourselves going down a dingy street or a dark alleyway and hearing something and building a whole terrorscape out of it or one of the I think generally the scene has probably been homaged and remade and makes its way into so many films you know from things like what's the what's a terrible 2000s film with um jesse bradford the swim fan or the swimmer and you know to jennifer's body to the faculty so many horror films have used the scene of the swimming pool where alice goes for a swim and we just again the use of sound and especially in an environment where the acoustics become so intense and amplified and also she's just helpless floating in this pool yeah, because if something jumps into the pool with her, oh, she's done. She's gone. <laughs> and we just see the shadow of, yeah. of like a woman, and then some sort of panther creature, and we hear the growl, yeah. and like it sounds so simple, but it's so, and it is, but it's so terrifying. Yeah, it's like a, it's a mastery of form. I think it's a confidence in understanding how editing and sound and narrative can all work together to elicit effects and emotions without needing to show it. It's like you were saying, it's been homaged in so many films, along with the bus stop sequence, that when it pops up in horror films, I will mm. have a little smile. I'm like, good, that's the yeah. appropriate homage. If they're homaging cat people, then that's the little bonus <laughs> point for this film. That means they know their horror film history. That makes me very happy. Also, I love your um, reference to the fact that Val Luton hated uh, the 1930s style of monsters yeah. on screen because it just instantly made me think of The Bad and the Beautiful, mm. which is the 1952 film with where Kirk Douglas plays a, a thinly veiled version of Luton. <laughs> And they're making a cat people film, but it's very much in that vein. You know, they have this like these men dressed as giant cats and they're ridiculous. 
that's why it's this, that's why this, this film cat people is very stylish it's very elegant it's very mm. understated and it shows a real like awareness of what good horror fiction is like good horror fiction is where you're drawn in by what the characters are experiencing it's not um you being told how they feel or making you feel a certain way it's saying this character this woman is walking down the street on her own in the shadows in the darkness aware that the man she loves his potentially psychotic wife is really unhappy with her and thinks she can turn into a panther and it's just knowing that this contemporary woman is walking down the street and we understand what it would feel like to walk down that street alone and realize someone is walking behind you it's that sense of experience is frightening enough without needing Irina to put on like a giant black tail and jump out. You know, it's just not that kind of film, is it? <laughs> no, and I wanted to ask you actually, as a self-confessed cat lady and also real into <laughs> cat horror, which is a thing. Oh yeah. It's a real thing. There's there's very little, to be honest, that is terrifying about cats. <laughs> Why do you think these two monsters that we're talking about, mm-hmm. Panther women, both of them, are using the feline aspects to make them into monsters oh that's interesting um i could give you i'll give you two hypotheses for these one of them's very biased i'm into it um as a cat lady and the other one's more (laughs) of a horror film thing so the first thing i would say is i think cats are super intelligent i think they're um very aloof and cold and quite violent, and they do exactly what they want all the time, regardless of anyone else. And that's why I love cats. I love that you have to work hard with cats for them to be your friends. Like, they're not into you. You're just there to feed them. So that is a much more interesting monster than, say, a dog. And the dog's just like, I love you, I love you, master. I love you, I love you. That is not interesting, okay? (laughs) That is not interesting. there's there's a lot more interesting baddie things I think with a cat. Dogs are just far too innocent and childlike. So except Cujo. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Okay. Except Cujo. <laughs> Generally, like just cats have a lot more. I think they're a lot more interesting. But mm. I would say there's a whole. The other answer I could give you is just like there's a history of this. So in Japanese horror, there's a whole subgenre called the bakaneko mono, which is ghost cat films. Oh, I do know about this. Yeah. Yes, I'm I'm here for your theory. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, well, it's just that this has been going on a long time. So in the old black and white Bakaneko mono films, which as they're black and white and feature ghost cats, I have also done a lot of research on. Yeah. Um, they're all about um, women who, it's more, it's more straight patriarchal as is like typical of the Japanese cinema culture. Um, but it's a woman who is a victim and has been wronged in some way, frequently like raped and murdered or straight murdered. And a cat will come along as her body's on the floor and drinks the blood from her. And then she returns as a ghost cat and like eviscerates everybody. So this is happening in like 1960s Japanese cinema, 1950s. This has just been going on for a long time in horror film history the feline as a monster and specifically the relationship between the woman 
and the feline monster has like a long lineage. I mean, you could argue that that is perhaps stereotyping women as um, manipulative, cold and prone to strong emotion, but that would be up to you to decide really, I suppose, wouldn't it? Just to, to start rounding off kind of, do you think cat people still works now? I mean, we've been we've been talking about how much we think it does, but do you think it's a, yeah. it's a horror film that contemporary horror fans would enjoy? It's funny you should say that because I was re-watching it last night and um, I so I screened it 12 years ago for my students at the University of Hull and um, it's only 69 minutes long but it's got a very clear first act of 25 minutes and in the first act it's basically Irina meets boring architect um, they fall in love well he falls in love with her or thinks he does. I mean, he has an amazing line later on, which is like ultimate white male privilege, which is, I don't know if I do love it. It's just, I've always been happy all my life and everything, everything's always gone really well for me. And I had a good time at school and then I got a good job and that was really nice. And I just don't really know what to do because I'm unhappy for the first time. That did make me really chuckle. So the first act is essentially just them two getting together and getting married. And then as they get dropped off back at the house on their wedding night, she basically says, I really want to be with you as a man and wife, um, but I can't. You're going to have to just give me some time on this. And that's basically the first 25 minutes. And you think that wouldn't wash today because now you will get to that point within the first 10 pages. Mm. You would have by page 10, so like 10 minutes in, you would have Irina basically saying, I'm not going to have sex with you because I turn into a panther woman. And that would be like the inciting incident that starts the film. So in terms of pacing, I think it will probably, the first act, the first sort of half hour will probably seem really slow, mm. I think, to contemporary audiences. Do you think, do you feel the same? Is that what you were thinking? You see, I don't know how it would, I don't know how I would feel about it because I have such a reverence for it that I find it hard to distance myself and see for the first time. It's definitely yeah. a film I would recommend for hardcore horror fans who may not have seen it because I think yeah. it's so influential and so yes. interesting. And also just, you know, now it doesn't seem that dated. You know, there's, you know, we chuckled at the at the white male privilege scene because it's really <laughs> funny now, especially now. But there's also quite a lot of tragedy. And I think Irina is such an interesting character in that she's very troubled, but also is allowed to be, you know, wanting to be with her with this you know very boring guy by the way his character is called Oliver Reed which I'd completely forgotten about and found hilarious and rewatch <laughs> yeah because yeah. Oliver Reed was such a sexy actor and this guy is like the the pastiest most boring person you can imagine on yeah. screen um antithesis of Oliver Reed yeah isn't it like, yeah it couldn't be more just vanilla but I think genuinely for horror fans and especially for anyone who wants to write or make horror I think it's yeah. it needs to be watched because still the mastery of the direction 
the layers, the set pieces, you know, visually, it's incomparable. Like, you know, it still works really well. It's all on the screen. And, you know, the behind the screen stories between Jack Turneau and Val Luton are super interesting Mm -hmm. because we, we don't usually associate a film's vision with a producer. And Val Luton is one of the very few in the history of, you know, English language cinema and Hollywood cinema where we think, oh, this is the guy who made the film. Yeah, and there's creativity associated with him as a producer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know what you mean, um, particularly about if you want to make horror films. And I think it's actually really important for whatever kind of horror film you want to make that you watch this because I've been talking about how elegant and stylish it is, but it was done on a small budget. And these are essentially like exploitation films. So like RKO had a load of exploitable titles. So they had the titles Cat People, The Leopard Man, Isle of the Dead, and they had a budget which was low at the time of like $150,000 per picture. And it was basically make a film with the title cat people, do it on this low budget, off you go. So even though we talk about how beautiful it is, it's not through expenditure. It's through understanding the manipulation of the frame and what you show and what you don't show and what's in the shadows and what is brought to light. And that's the smart thing about horror. Like everyone talks about horror being a great choice for starting out in filmmaking because you can do it very low budget. You know, you don't have to spend a fortune and cat people is a masterclass in making a really effective horror film on a very small budget through illusion and ambiguity and suggestion, which is way cheaper than lots of special effects. So this is really one to watch to learn how to do horror without ever actually showing anything. I love that. Just as a final question for you, Alison, mm-hmm. why do you think both the Panther women have to die at the end of these films? Um, well, I'm, the, the sigh was because I'm sad when they die. Mm-hmm. You know, I often, particularly when I watch these older films, I often imagine alternative endings for them. So there's still, both of the films associate women with, monstrous female sexuality and at this point in time in the 30s and 40s that female sexuality still needs to be tamed okay so it's like film noir by the end of film noir the femme fatales either dead imprisoned or married like they have to be controlled in some way so I like to imagine the end of Island of Lost Souls where um, Lota fights Uran the ape man and saves the day but survives and she goes off with Edward Parker if that's who she likes god knows why and I much prefer an ending of cat people where instead of tragedy where Irina goes to the panther's cage and dies being attacked by a panther I'd like to imagine that panther succumbs recognizing her authority and together they go off in New York and just massacre everyone who's annoyed them. You know, this is the kind of ending I want where the female monster is allowed to have sexuality and is allowed to survive. That's the kind of ending I like to imagine. 
<laughs> just massacre all of them. Yeah, just massacre them all. It's so much more fun. There's a film from the 30s called White Zombie, mm -hmm. which has the most apathetic white female zombie of all time. And at the end, she basically just wakes up from the zombie's curse and is okay again. And like, that's it. And you're like, oh, that's so boring. Wouldn't it be great if she came back and remembered everything and all the awful things that she'd done and was completely haunted by it? You know, like, you could just do so much more. Like, don't recover her as, like, the virgin. Mm. Just let her be a monster. It's just so much more fun. But women are still contained during this period. All the women have to be parceled off safely at the end, like dead married or imprisoned it's the only way for them Alison thank you so much for your time and for your insight where can people find out more about the work that you do and you've got a book coming out this year as well don't you um yeah so I think probably the easiest thing is you can always find me on Instagram I'm on Instagram as Alison Pierce which is A-L-I-S-O-N and then Pierce is P-E-I-R-S-E And on there, I talk about whatever I'm working on at the moment. So as you said, I've got a new book coming out September 2020. Um, this is called Women Make Horror, Filmmaking, Feminism and Genre. So this isn't about the women on screen and the characters that we've been talking about today. This is about saying, hey, actually, right back to the 1930s, There's these screenwriters, producers, directors, all women making horror films, and we need to know about them. So that's what that book's about. It's the first of its kind. It's got all women writers, and it's the first ever book-length history of women horror filmmakers. So I would obviously urge you all to go out and buy it in paperback. <laughs> Thank you so much. I can't wait to read that. And that's it for this episode of the Final Girls Podcast. Please do rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode will land in your feed every Friday. You can find out more about what we do on thefinalgirls.co.uk and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thefinalgirls.uk. Let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving us a review. And if you can, we'd appreciate your support on Patreon. You can also follow Alison on Instagram at Alison Pierce, And I tweet a lot of cat pictures on Anna Be Demented. Thank you for listening and join us next week for a discussion on a truly iconic Monster Bride. <laughs>